On this episode of the Cutting Edge Podcast, balancing learning management system flexibility with standardizing the student experience. One option is that some institutions just as, use this as an opportunity to kind of start from scratch and think about how do we want to design our courses going forward. So for courses to articulate and report, uh, it could take up to two minutes per transaction. You achieve uh, in the cloud, we'll, we'll blow doors off that metric. And what opportunities come from moving transfer credit approval to the cloud? I'm your host, Emily Bamforth, and this is The Cutting Edge, where we dive deep with decision makers on what's next in higher ed, IT, and online learning. Antioch University and Otterbein University are planning a national university system for sharing career prep and graduate level courses. Otterbein and Antioch claim the partnership will allow institutions to experiment with new course delivery methods, as well as design graduate and adult education offerings in social justice and advocacy. Each institution would keep its own brand in undergraduate programs. Both Antioch and Otterbein are headquartered in Ohio, though Antioch has campuses nationwide. The University of Georgia is investing more than $2 million in its high-performance computing center. It's a move designed to expand existing research as well as accommodate 50 new faculty with AI and data science backgrounds. UGA's Timothy Chester said, offering a high-powered computing technology and training can help bulk up proposals for competitive research grants. Transact, which recently signed its 100th mobile student ID customer, is planning to acquire the campus dining app vendor Hangry. Hangry, which already integrates with Transact, designs mobile ordering, marketing, and other software to help universities manage dining halls and campus stores. The companies did not disclose acquisition price. Find all these stories and more on edscoop.com. Anthology is seeing 30% year-over-year growth in institutions using the Blackboard Learn Ultra system this year. Nicholas Mathis, a vice president overseeing the product, explains some of the ways Learn Ultra is designed to simplify the student experience and how that plays into online course design. To start off, I just wanted to get a quick primer um, on some of the differences between the traditional Blackboard uh, view and Blackboard Learn Ultra. Can you walk us through just like a quick uh, primer on on what Blackboard Learn Ultra is and, and where it's going? Yeah, absolutely. So basically, just to go back in time a little bit, so Blackboard Learn or Blackboard Learn Original is really the LMS that has been um, kind of the original version of the LMS almost. It's, it's kind of the first, in its, it's the first in its category. And then Learn Ultra really is kind of a more modern version uh, of, the, of the LMS, kind of our, our new LMS version. So it, uh, Learn Ultra was really designed kind of from the beginning to be, to be responsive in nature, to be more accessible in nature, to be uh, cleaner from an interface perspective. Obviously, Learn Original is kind of uh, starting to show its age a little bit, which, uh, which can be expected. So it's really kind of our, our go at, at a more modern version of the LMS. Perfect. It's also, also fully cloud hosted and everything you would uh, you would expect that comes with it. Got it. Can you talk about some of the priorities? Um, I listened uh, to the keynote yesterday at the beginning of the conference, but could you discuss a little bit on on your team what some of the priorities are and what you're hearing from clients either when they're considering making the switch or something they really want to have uh, immediately when they make this transition. 
Yeah, so so one of the first things that we hear from from clients and institutions that want to make the switch, I mean, really the reason why they want to make the switch is because of what we just talked about. They're looking for a more modern experience, kind of an experience that is um, that is kind of mobile friendly, that is cleaner. Uh, but one one really important thing that comes back as well is around consistency between courses. One of the one of the traditional downfalls of the uh, kind of the traditional LMS is that it can be a little bit of a wild west, and uh, therefore students can have very disjointed experiences depending on which course they're in. And so the way in which Ultra has been designed is, is really to kind of try to create a little bit more consistency across courses. So we, we see that as something that comes up a lot where institutions get that feedback from their students and they're ultimately looking for, um, for kind of more of, that, more of that consistency between courses so that students overall have a, um, have a better experience. So as they um, as, as they come into as they come into Ultra, I mean, one of the one of the items that we get a lot of feedback about is kind of the, the the upgrade process or the conversion process, how they move from original to ultra, um, and that I will fully admit that that is an area where it does take some work right now, and uh, it's always going to take some work, but I think we can do better in terms of making that upgrade process as as kind of smooth and, and seamless as possible. So in the next, as we go forward, you'll kind of see that be one of our main areas of focus to really chip away at that and make sure that that kind of transition process is as um, is as kind of clean and um, as and seamless as possible. I mean, in terms of um, kind of as clients make the move to Ultra, there's some of the things that they that they really gravitate towards or that is really important for them. I mean, first of all, obviously, kind of the the mobile friendliness, the the responsiveness. There's, as you could tell from the keynote yesterday, there's a there's a large number of changes that have recently come into Ultra. There's there's a huge acceleration in terms of its uh, its development velocity. And so, if you look at some of the things that have been released over the last several months, even then, we see kind of we see parts of that re resonate really, really strongly with with clients. So, if just to uh, kind of call out a few areas, I guess so. There's the um, kind of the student test taking experience, for example, how how students experience a test, how they go through a test inside of uh, inside of learn ultra that's an area where we've done a tremendous amount of updates to make that as as good as possible we've done a lot of research with students so students can always can always easily see how far they are in the test they can always kind of see how much time they've got left um, they can use filters that align with different kind of student testing experiences and so following the changes that were made there that was uh, we see kind of a lot of that resonating really strongly and then other areas as well things like um, kind of increasing instructor control on how kind of tests and assignments should behave. For example, there's uh, there's a tremendous amount of kind of improvements and additional controls that we've provided there over the last several months. I'd be I'd be happy to go into more detail there. And then the last one that I'll call out just that uh, has become really important in conversations with institutions is around uh, kind of support for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And uh, we're kind of on this path there to. What I think is 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 the best kind of um, support for for DEI that that exists in the market. So we we introduce things like the ability to um, kind of for a student to set their pronouns, for example, but also to specify their name pronunciation, to record their name pronunciation, kind of control how they are displayed to other students when like in a discussion or something along those lines, and then make sure that that displays very consistently across the entire application and just that. That ability for students to better express themselves and kind of better present themselves we've we've seen a lot of uh, a lot of really positive momentum around that 
Yeah. Now, thank you for running me through some of that. And I know that there's so much that, that we could go into here, but I wanted to start first kind of looping back to that upgrade experience. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of these institutions have been in the original blackboard for decades, maybe over a decade. Can you talk a little bit about some of the pain points there in the upgrade experience, um, or the transition experience and, and how, um, the, the team, especially now that there are more people working on Blackboard Learn Ultra, um, how they're looking to smooth that, um, and, and what that experience looks like for institutions. Yeah, absolutely. So, so basically, I mean, as you're saying correctly, kind of institutions have been in Learn Original for, um, more than a decade in, in many cases. And obviously there's a lot that kind of builds up over time. There's courses get, get rolled over every semester. So there's, there's a lot that builds up. I mean, fundamentally Ultra is a, is a pretty different learning management system. It, it kind of, um, I mean, we've obviously been working very hard on kind of bringing in some of the really important use cases, but it's still, it's still different in terms of how it presents uh, content, how it presents activities. So there is, there is some work that is required to kind of make the move. Right now, institutions have a number of different options on how they, how they want to make uh, that move. So I mean, one option is that some institutions just ask, use this as an opportunity to kind of start from scratch and think about how do we want to design our courses going forward, especially coming out of the pandemic. Um, and so some institutions will say, well, we want our instructors to, to start from scratch. And there's some there's some functionality that we have that makes it a little bit easier so they can always reach back into their old courses and bring in individual items and so on. So that is, that is one approach that is available. It's, it's the most labor intensive one, but often also the one that produces the best result overall, because it's kind of a, a clean reset. The second option that exists is that there is, there is an automated conversion process that institutions can use, which essentially will take those original courses and will automatically convert them to ultra courses as, as best as, uh, as best as it currently can. Um, and so there's, there are some limitations around that. Uh, but yeah, that is, that is an option. And then we also have a partnership with a third-party organization called K16 Solutions that essentially help us with, it's kind of a mix of an, an automated and manual process to uh, try and get to as good an automated conversion process as possible. So that's, that's what exists today. And as you can hear, each of those options do require, um, do require quite a bit of work. So over the last couple of months, but really as we go forward as well, we've really been looking at how can we make this as smooth as possible? There's definitely, there's definitely more that we can do to make it smoother. And so we've actually engaged with a independent third-party organization that is specialized on just service blueprinting and service design. So we're really trying to take a very holistic look at kind of how do institutions move through this? What are all of the different touch points? What are all of the different kind of layers of communication that they that they go through with their constituents uh, internally. And then based on that, we're starting to build out some, um, some concepts essentially on how we can make that upgrade process smoother. And we're actually testing, kind of validating these concepts um, here at the conference, but that includes everything from kind of trying to make the, uh, kind of trying to, to make the process more scalable, trying to improve the automation that's in place, kind of trying to identify which which conversion strategy is most appropriate for a particular institution and then guiding them down that path. Also giving them kind of dashboards in which they can more easily track how they're, how they're progressing, who they may want to go after next in terms of, in terms of making the move, but also all of the resources that we need to provide to make it, make it more seamless. I mean, adoption toolkits, 
documentation, like little little videos that they can reuse, whatever whatever you can think of. All of that is really kind of part of the mix and is is over now kind of starting to starting to build out in in earnest in in collaboration with with our clients. Absolutely. Um, one of the things you mentioned was institutions kind of thinking about how they want to present online courses moving forward and that being slightly more standard across the institution to make it more accessible for students. Can you talk a little bit about some of the ways that you're seeing so clients say, hey, this is how I want uh, my content presented. Um, and also whether uh, or not, will, I guess we'll there's support for that. professors yeah. or instructors who might be saying, well, I had this flexibility before and now I, I feel a little, you know, caged in. Is that some feedback that you've, you've gotten and how did you address that? It, it comes up. So, so basically, um, I mean, as far as, Sorry, what was the first part of the question again? I, talking about what institutions want from that um, more standardized view, what things they want when presenting their content. Yeah, so, so as I said, a lot of institutions kind of use this upgrade process as, a, as kind of an opportunity to revise how their courses are designed and kind of think about what do we want the student experience to look like. So it's, um, it, it's kind of often connected to, to kind of a, like pedagogy, improving dig digital pedagogy uh, initiatives. And so what we see is uh, for those institutions that, that kind of take that approach, they will start to look at things like the, the quality matters rubric, for example, the uh, exemplary course program that we provide as kind of a, a model on how they want courses to be, to be laid out. We get a lot of, for example, um, one of the capabilities inside of LearnAltra is what we call learning modules. And so learning modules provides a really kind of clean way for, for content and activities to be clustered together and kind of makes it very easy for students to step through that content kind of one step at a time. And so it's those types of things that they start to build into, started to build into their course templates, into their master shells and kind of encourage more usage of, which then creates just a more, a more consistent and an easier to navigate experience as far as the student's concerned. I mean, in terms of that instructor feedback, you're you're absolutely right. We do we do occasionally uh, get that. We get it less and less as we are adding additional options and additional control for instructors. And I think ultimately there's all there's always going to be some sort of trade-off between complete instructor flexibility and a consistent student experience. And it's it's all about kind of finding finding the right place in the middle. I think where there's enough enough freedom for the instructor to kind of allow them to do what they want to do while still maintaining some of that some of that consistency, but I, I will say it, it has gotten a lot better in terms of that instructor feedback, especially as we kind of add those additional options on how, how, how tests and assignments can be configured, how they behave, when, when feedback is released. So as, as all of that is starting to come in, kind of it, it's, it's becoming less and less of a, less and less of a problem, I think. Um, and we, we also, I mean, one thing that I will also point out is that we're starting, we, we've got a lot of student feedback as well on why why this is important. We've got both qualitative and quantitative feedback uh, from students that essentially shows that they, they generally prefer being in ultra courses compared to original courses. There was actually a client session yesterday where they talked about their migration to, um, their migration to ultra and in their early adopter program, they actually saw for the, the courses that had adopted uh, Learn Ultra, they saw an increase in student retention for those courses consistently across the board. And I think that just comes back to 
um, the importance of consistency. And, and once you've got that data and that information, we can then have a more, a more informed uh, conversation with instructors as well. But yeah, it's definitely about finding that balance, but uh, it's definitely getting a, it's, be, it's becoming easier conversation. No, I, uh, I would imagine as, as they play around with more things and test them out, uh, they'd see those options, but, um, moving on to another area where I'm sure you have a lot of conversations, a lot of interest, uh, one of the things that stood out to me, um, from this conference is how much, um, anthology wants their products to communicate and, and share data. Can you talk a little bit about that from the Blackboard Learn Ultra side, and then also talk a little bit about any specifics that have gone into place to allow for that kind of data sharing, but also allow students and, and teachers to know where data is being shared and, and what's being used to inform their experience in the LMS. Yeah, uh, that is a really good question. And uh, I could talk about this for, for hours, but yeah, I mean, so in terms of in terms of Learn Ultra, just to take a step back, so we, um, as a product, we kind of have what we call five product pillars, kind of areas of focus, the kind of the areas where we try to focus our roadmap around as much as possible. One of those pillars is what we call best in class, and that is all about kind of deep and seamless integrations. And and to me, so, so it's a it's a core part of Ultra that um, that, that kind of kind of the, the integration side of things. And when I, when I think about kind of deep and seamless integrations, there's, to me, there's kind of two parts to that. It's, it's first of all, making sure that the framework, kind of the means in which deep integrations can be, uh, can be built out, that that, is, that that is present. And there's quite a bit that we're doing there already. I mean, there's standard supports that we have, there's REST APIs, there's ultra extension framework. So this is an area where we're doing a lot already. But one of the things that I'm, I'm personally a very strong believer in is that the I mean, traditionally, when we talk about integrations, we talk about the kind of the standard LTI type integration where you kind of plop, kind of put one system inside of another system. And we don't think that's sufficient anymore because it's very clear that it's, it's kind of disjointed. And we really kind of think it's time for the next step where it is more about those deep and seamless integrations where kind of the integration shows up in logical places in the workflow where data flows back and forth. In, in logical ways, and it, it just feels like a, like a seamless experience. Um, so that's kind of the first part, making sure that it's easy to integrate into the LMS, but also easy to integrate, to kind of take parts of the LMS outside of it and, and kind of show it in other places. Um, the second part is, is kind of making sure that we have deep and seamless integrations with kind of out-of-the-box integrations with commonly used tools. And this, this applies to both our internal tools kind of some of the things in our portfolio, but also external tools, things like the Microsoft tool set, the Google tool set, for example, making sure that we've got, we've got really seamless, uh, we've got really seamless integrations there. And from a kind of an internal tool perspective, there's, it, it's, it's still early days, I will say, like we're, we're only still kind of six, seven, eight months into this, into this merger, but we, we see as part of our roadmap, for example, that we're, we're starting to see a few areas where Ultra is starting to integrate more deeply with some of the other tools that exist inside of the, the anthology portfolio. Um, so that is kind of starting to see the early signs of that. Then kind of from an external tool perspective, there's a lot that we're doing with Microsoft, for example, where, um, and I think that's actually a really good example of how data should kind of flow back and forth in a, 
in a very seamless and almost invisible way where, I mean, over the last six to 12 months, we've built out a deep Microsoft Teams integration. We allow for kind of OneDrive content to easily be linked into a course. We're just about to release the ability to have kind of OneDrive documents for collaborative authoring purposes. And the nice thing about that is that it just kind of shows up inside of the UI as, as inside of the Learn Ultra UI as an as an option. And you don't you don't really it doesn't feel like you're going off to an external system. It's just part of the workflow. But behind the scenes, things like synchronizing enrollments between what's in Ultra and what's inside of Microsoft Teams or or kind of the Microsoft toolset, that's all happening kind of automatically behind the scenes. You never really have to um, have to worry about it. So that's kind of an early example, I think, of how kind of data flows back and forth behind the scenes and just makes it a, a pretty seamless experience. Now, the next step beyond that is the step that's going to be really interesting is actually starting to use some of that data and then kind of use it to surface insights in the right places. And so when we take the Microsoft example uh, for just a second, then for example, let's say you're allowing your students to collaborate on a a OneDrive document, like a Word document or a PowerPoint that they can co-author. And obviously there's a lot of data that's generated as part of that, like who's, who's doing what, when are they doing it, and just kind of all of the activity that happens inside of that document. And I'm being able to make sure that you can then surface that back to, for example, the instructor to help them better understand kind of how did different people contribute to this particular collaborative authoring uh, activity. That's, that's kind of where you're not just making sure that the data flows back and forth, but you're actually bringing it back and, and kind of surfacing it in a way that then allows the instructor to make a more informed kind of grading decision. That's just, that's just one example. And um, I think as we go forward, both with internal and external tools, we'll just see, um, we'll see a lot more of that. It'll be a big area of focus as we go forward. Yeah, and adding on to that, could you talk a little bit about um, that last piece and uh letting students know where their data is going or managing student data and privacy as as the company moves forward on some of those um, insights. Yeah, and it, that is, it's, it's a very rich area. So, I mean, first of all, there's, there's kind of a, there's a whole manifest and a whole charter that we have around data privacy and around data security uh, that I wouldn't be the best person to, to go into a lot of detail on, but there's just those baseline controls to make sure that whatever happens is like we, we as a company never own the data. The institution's always kind of the, the owner of the data. Um, I, I'm, I'm personally a huge believer in, well, let me take a step back. So, so basically there's a few things that we're doing inside of the product already where we're starting to surface insights to kind of both the instructor as well as the student to help them understand from an instructor perspective, how are my students doing? Which students may be falling behind? From a student perspective, how am I doing compared to the rest of the the rest of the class or the rest of the course that I'm in. And so for those, we've got some kind of, we've got some really basic ways in which to, to just make it very, it's all about transparency, I think. And, and to make it very transparent for both the student and the instructor to help them understand, okay, where does this data come from? What does it mean? How should I be using it? So we've got some, we've got some early examples there. And as we go forward and kind of start to surface more and more data, I think that that layer of transparency will always We'll always have there just to make it clear, okay, what was this based on? What is What did it capture? Those types of things. I'm also personally a huge believer in kind of the fact that I think educational institutions have a really important role to play in kind of developing student data literacy, essentially, and kind of helping them understand 
as they go into the the wide world and the entire internet, kind of what is actually being being captured about me? How is that data being used? So as we go forward with Blackboard Data, which is kind of our um, our our data lake essentially, where a lot of the data is collected and we can then pull from it to generate some of those insights. One of the things that I'm that I'm hoping we'll see is basically a place inside of Blackboard Data for students to understand, be able to see, okay, what data do you, I mean, what data is there about me? Who's got access to that data? What can it be used for? And also give them some controls about, okay, this is, well, this is mandatory. I don't have a choice about this. The institution decides this for me. This is optional. And I, I actually, as a student, want to opt out of my, my data being used for this particular purpose for, I mean, whatever, whatever reason it may be. So I, I do think there's a lot more to be done there from a, just making students more aware. And we're, we're starting to do that very slowly inside of the application. But I, uh, I, I think and I hope that we'll go, we'll go significantly beyond that. I, I actually think it's really important. Absolutely. Uh, I am looking forward to watching how the product evolves and, and some of the new features, uh, a lot of exciting stuff. So thank you so much for taking the time out to chat with me on it. Absolutely. My pleasure. Again, that was Nicholas Mathis of Anthology. You can read more about Anthology's product strategy at edscoop.com. I'm your host, Emily Bamforth, and this is the Cutting Edge Podcast. To make sure you don't miss an episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Nominations are open for the inaugural EdScoop 50 Awards. EdScoop is looking to recognize outstanding leadership in university IT, online learning, and technology. The awards also highlight innovative higher education technology projects and contrib- contributions in industry. Visit edscoop.com slash edscoop50 to read more about the awards and make your nominations by August 12th. Voting opens August 26th. Again, that's edscoop.com slash edscoop50. The University of Southern California's Registrar's Office has partnered with software company CollegeSource for years to implement new technology to improve transfer credit verification and approval processes. Now, USC is moving to a cloud-based solution to shorten approval processing times. Associate Registrar Matt Bemis gives context for the latest decision and what possibilities moving to the cloud offers. All right. And just uh, for the record, could you say your name and your title um, with USC? Sure. Matt Bemis, Associate Registrar. I work for uh, in the Registrar's Office for the degree progress area. I manage degree audit curriculum, uh, transfer articulation systems. We certify student athletes and, uh, and other duties as assigned. Got it. Um, before we get into some of the technology here, can you talk about uh, some of the particulars with transfer that uh, you see every day in your job. What are some of the challenges that are out there? Something that is particularly um, a priority for your uh, institution. Sure. A priority for our institution is really meeting the 24-7 demand. Um, students today uh, expect a turnaround time of any transaction that re- it involves transfer articulation or the reporting of transfer uh, within 15 minutes of receipt, really. And so we really have, um, over the years, we've looked at all of the high volume transactions that um, have required what we call a season. And our goal has always been that if we have a season, uh, meaning things that take more than a job or a couple days, uh, how can we leverage our products on campus to remove the season? And transfers, uh, there's, transfer is no exception. Um, many years ago, um, 
uh, we migrated to the then uh, Darwin transfer articulation module. Uh, we migrated our homegrown transfer articulation rules into that. And since 2003, we've been up and on that, on that program. Since that time, we've also leveraged many um, transactions that, uh, that inform both prospective students and transfer advisors. Uh, a great example is something called our transfer planning guide. Uh, this is something that um, dynamically reports all of the data for any selected school that will transfer to USC and how it will transfer based on a selected program of study. This was one of these things that we stumbled on early on, uh, and it was at the request of our School of Engineering, because what they were doing is they were putting together these, these plans uh, manually, 104 community colleges, 28 active programs, you can imagine the work involved, and, and at the moment they were published, they were incorrect, they were outdated. And so we really leveraged this software and features that uh, Jack Southern is the original author of this program. I grew up with Jack, to be fair, I'm, I'm showing my age. Uh, we all miss Jack, um, uh, but you know, Jack's code enabled us to do this. And what we did is we published this uh, with a couple bells and whistles as a boiler, temp temp boiler uh, templates for these uh, transfer planning guides. And we never look back. We get, we get about 45,000 hits a year on this. And this is students or prospective uh, advisors advising students on what will transfer to USC and how it will transfer based on the program. So it was really surprised us that we hadn't used this before. Uh, and so that was, that was one of those options. The, the other thing that we've leveraged is the use of just dynamic reporting. Um, students who uh, have matriculated USC, admitted and attending, uh, they can only go outside during the summer. And we ask that they request pre-approval to do so. We have a fully integrated pre-approval process that lets them select the school to which they will attend, the courses that are in our data sets, or if they don't see the courses, they can freeform those. And we report in real time uh, if those courses will transfer, if they're repetitious, uh, if, they, uh, if, if the student's eligible to bring in more uh, units and transfer. And, and that service uh, used to be something where we got paper on every request. And so um, not only the, the hassle of paper was that it created a season. We had a season to get these documents in, turned around, managed, imaged, and mailed to the student. And this literally just turned this around overnight to where students um, uh, are within two minutes can get the response of their pre-approval and they know that this, the course will transfer and how it will transfer. Um, so that we average just about 30,000 hits a year with that. So again, not a small transaction, far more transactions than we used to get with paper because paper was more uh, time consuming to get to us. But, um, but those transactions do represent something that we just, that, that just happens. The other big thing we did, uh, there's two other big things we did. Um, one was in 2010, there was an unfunded mandate in the state of California to accept um, electronic data, uh, uh, education data, machine readable data from our community colleges. And we jumped in that pool with both feet. Um, USC is not only a receiver of EDI and XML data, uh, we are a sender. Uh, so that any school wishing to request our transcript data uh, electronically, we will fulfill that free of charge. We only have a few trading partners on that, but with regard to send, uh, receiving rather, 90% uh, of our top 50 feeders, we get EDI data. And what that means is this data comes in every 15 minutes uh, is loaded and those and students who are who have matriculated or who are admitted actually get notice in real time that their transfer credit report has been updated. It's issued to them without any human intervention. 
there is no um, review at all unless we see new courses in that data set that students have re reported that are not part of our transfer credit module. So again, huge transactions. Our EDI data, we average 17,000 hits a year. Now, some of this is related to a new service we set up with College Source that allows our transfer applicants, um, prospective applicants, to submit data, uh, self-reported data, in a way that it's the course is formatted, it's uh, it's routed through again an EDI transaction. It, it costs nothing for College Source and USC to engage the platform where students can do this. Uh, we do pay a subscription fee for that. However, the transactions that go over the National Student Clearinghouse Speedy Server are free of charge to both sender and receiver. And uh, the vast majority of students who are invited um, for uh, consideration for admission uh, as a prospective uh, transfer. Um, uh, report their self-reported data. It's been a real, um, it's, it's been a real game changer for us. And, and at the end of the day, you know, one of the reasons why we're moving to the cloud is that we need the enhanced performance. The cloud, uh, it, it's, it's much more efficient in updating. We can update batches in real time. Transfer credit in particular takes a while for processing on the current platform. You know, we're looking forward to being able to report to students dynamically, not on overnight batch, but dynamically when they report um, self-reported data. And more importantly, we think that with our efforts, we may actually get to a point where we can issue a, a prospective transfer credit report with the offer of admission based on students self-reporting their data. That's a huge game changer. And the fact that this is leveraging EDI data, which is a standard, uh, if you've gone to an ATM in the last 24 hours, you've used EDI, it's very much an active standard. Uh, most schools in North America, south of Canada, Canadian, the Canadian border are using EDI. So uh, we simply leveraged what was there um, using self-reported data. And you know, we haven't looked back. It's been two years, uh, two cycles, and we couldn't be happier with the product or the, the um, method of recording. Interestingly enough, this, this very module that we built, uh, when COVID hit, we, we lost our workstations. Hmm. And, and so we were home now, and we could not authenticate with firewalls to get to where we could load data for students who've applied and were admitted. And we use this very application to report their data through self-reported data mechanisms. So we actually reported the data and tumbled that through and had something to work with to share with a student, even though we hadn't received official documents because of COVID closures. So we had no idea that was the silver lining coming to that. And uh, we were, you know, we were, we were thrilled. Um, the last thing I'll I'll um, cite or brag about, if you will, uh, is overseas studies processing. This is a big deal for USC. If you are a large institution, particularly with USC's reputation of uh, one of the largest uh, providers of education to the international population, we have a lot of students not only coming from international locations, we have a lot of students going to international locations in the form of um, overseas studies sponsored programs. And what you need to know about overseas st studies programs, sponsored programs is most schools transcript that coursework so that if you attend USC and you take a semester or two abroad, it's going to appear on your USC transcript as home coursework. And, and we have more than 150 programs with more than 800 students a year who take these programs. And before we used this college source product to automate the reporting and the, um, the streamlining and standardization of that reporting, this was just a nightmare. Scheduling alone was 600 hours of someone's work, creating sections, creating courses, grading courses, adding courses, releasing sessions, and then notifying the student. It was just a nightmare. And we figured out, you know, using College Sources resources, how to get rid of this season. 
It, we, you know, this used to take 60 days, 60 calendar days to process when we got a transcript from Institute de Catholique, as an example, in France. Uh, now it's two business days because the data is in our data sets. It's uniform. Uh, we know when we've seen courses in the past, we know how they evaluate. We know the limits of the, of the programs. And most importantly, it writes to our transcript data in real time and it's reported on a USC transcript with no need to key in this data. So all of these things I'm talking about are extremely high volume, time sensitive transactions that uh, we've been able to effectively leverage. And so our going to the cloud only opens up the doors here in our opinion. Um, it's, it's not just data that we can share, it's data that we can um, uh, improve the um, speed and performance of the data and how we can turn it around. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for some of the context there. Could you talk a little bit about just just really quickly for context? Um, and you you touched on this, but could you provide kind of a scope of of the number of transfer credit approvals uh, that USC has to process? We are highly selective of all the students who want to come to USC. A very small number actually get in. So we we actually have a very good problem in that we don't use our tools to recruit students per se. We use our tools to uh, manage students when they commit so that we know how we can report that. But, but the, you know, the general admission cycle for fall, we may see 14 to 1600 transfer students. And most of these students have at least um, one full year of work, if not two full years of work. Um, and so all of that work must be evaluated, uh, articulated and issued to the students. So it's, it's one of those things where our articulation shop has a, an articulation officer with four um, support staff, and they are always behind. It's just transfer. We never have enough resources for transfer credit. We simply don't have the resources to uh, to get through everything without these these um, systems of automation. Yeah, could you talk a little bit about? Uh, obviously, you you ran us through some of the ways that USC has used technology and college sources technology to uh, ease this process and and kind of open up some opportunities for your staff. But could you talk about some of the challenges specifically um, that moving to the cloud and moving to this new you achieve product is going to help address? What are what are some of the opportunities that it might open up, especially in terms of benefits to students who might want to see their pathway moving forward? Um, so what we see there is we see a more, uh, a, a more seamless 24-7 expectation of service. Right now, we, we intentionally do not process incoming transfer uh, dynamically. We, we, batch it. we batch it overnight. And one of the reasons is our transfer processing is uh, machine resource intensive. Uh, the, the, it's the nature of the beast of transfer data, where you, if you have a top feeder, that school has a very large data set. And so for courses to articulate and report, uh, it could take up to two minutes per transaction. You achieve uh, on the cloud, will will blow doors off that metric. We're talking 10, you know, 10 to 15 seconds. So, so moving to um, a more dynamic online real-time reporting will be something we absolutely are shooting for. And we think that you know the advantage there is that uh, again, if if we're getting EDI data in or self-reported data in, and we wish to issue that in real time to the student, we'll be able to do that. We'll be able to do that uh, without having to batch and without having overnight. The other thing is the obviously that moving to the cloud. Um, you know, the obvious reasons schools do this, right? Uh, efficiency, uh, you know, <laughs> resourcing their IT uh, technology staff to not manage servers not manage the, you know, the, the life cycle of servers, the backups, all of those things that the reasons people go to the cloud and, and what makes this a deal 
Uh, all those things are engaged for USC, clearly. Um, the other thing is that, um, uh, you know, if you are on any campus, I believe in the world, uh, your IT staff is under-resourced. <laughs> it's really hard to get an IT resource that where you're, you just have IT resources coming out of your ears. So, so you know, the, the fact that College Source specializes in this and that when we have a change to the student data loader or something else we're doing, or we have a wholesale change with um, transfer articulation, um, you know, we have now that resource to collaborate. Uh, the one thing I also didn't mention that we collaborated with College Source in 2012 is we built a transfer articulation rules builder. And what that means, Emily, is that if you send me a transcript and say you're coming from the Northeast where we don't see a lot of schools from the uh, students from the Northeast and half of your courses in your two-year program we've never seen before, this transfer articulation rules builder identifies students, that student in particular with unknown courses, we select those courses. It pulls back all the data from College Source's robust test system. You know, tests. Am I speaking using terminology here that's unfamiliar to you? I, uh, if you want to break down what that means, it might not be familiar for everyone. So it's a it is a system where College Source has identified all of the courses that exist on a college campus, and the college uh, the, the the data sets include uh, prereqs, corecs, the title, course title, course description. All of the things that you would need as an evaluator and what this what this um, rules builder process does is it pulls back all of that information. So that the evaluator can say yep this transfers and it transfers as a USC equivalent and we're going to give it this. And when they commit that rule it inserts those rules into the database the the operator does not key in any rules. That's it. That's huge. <laughs> and College Source partnered with us on that to say, can we make this happen? We had, you know, we, we kind of took the Milton Hershey, Clarence Birdseye approach. We know we need to do something. We just don't know how to do it. Uh, if you know the history of Hershey and Birdseye, you know that they, they had great vision. They just didn't know how to get it done. And so working with College Source, we figured out this API to dynamically insert all transfer rules, the vast majority. We don't do many to ones or many to many, but the one-to-one -one rules are inserted and indexed and, um, and uh, validated with regard to uh, tables that support who inserted the rule, which, which evaluator approved it. Um, and we've never looked back at that. We, we insert about 12,000 rules a year. Um, those are 12,000 rules that we used to hand key in uh, with full accountability of when we did it, uh, what the equivalencies are that we gave, if any, and the operators that performed it. So um, I think they, College Source actually leases that, the ability to that API if your school wants to also do that. But, but we were, uh, you know, it was one of those things where this is a season, how can we get rid of the season? And they helped us leverage that. Now moving to the cloud, um, I don't see that to be a disruption on any of the services I've mentioned. I think they will just, it will just enhance the speed in which those services process. Yeah, that leads nicely into my next question, which is obviously there's been um, several new iterations of technology introduced into this process. Can you talk a little bit about um, what that kind of looks like for staff um, introducing a new product like uh, the, the cloud uh, you achieve uh, product? Well, we're very hopeful, Emily, that it, 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 it's actually a seamless uh, transition that they won't know we've changed platforms other than enhancing some of the some of the um, some of the some of the changes in platform that affect uh, my staff. Uh, so you as an advisor, we would hope at the end of the day, you don't notice a, a single difference in the process other than speed and performance. 
from our side, uh, clearly the advantages are there's some features in the, you know, we're on a version where we last upgraded in 2009. Um, so anything that's been broken or fixed since 2009 on the new platform, we don't have access to, and we're really looking forward to that. Table sizes are a big deal, right? Java has no table limitations. We're in a process that has major table limitations that cause us to not only, um, not only uh, make customizations that have to be tracked version to version, um, but when you're upgrading, you now have to verify that you have to do your regression testing to make sure they're still operational. Moving to the, the uh, UChieve cloud removes all of those things. So from a user perspective, from my end, from encoders, from transfer articulation, it's going to be much easier. Also, there's self-service um, models for transfer articulation where you don't need a client on your desktop. You can, you can, you can do this from the moon if you have access. Um, we think that's a really cool thing. And same thing for encoders. Encoders will have the app stream applications within the, within the cloud to remove the desktop headache. We, we, we actually don't install this program on desktops for advisors at all. Um, this is only for the registrar staff and you know, some of the self-services, just as, just as recently as yesterday, I went through a demo on the self-service for transfer articulation and it will meet our needs. So we have seen nothing in this new platform that won't meet our needs. The other thing we did to prepare for this, and, and it's, it's fair, I, I, you know, I'm sharing some dirty laundry here in that last upgrade of 2009, what, what's happened from 2009 to today, right? What's happened is the product's very stable. And so we have literally been waiting for the last shoe to drop to say, okay, this product is good to go. It is what it, it, it does, what it used to do and so much more. And so that's why we started this conversation in 2019 about migrating. And ultimately we chose college source, the web solution, the cloud solution over uh, on-prem because of the efficiencies, because of the knowledge, because of the product knowledge, because you know, our, our IT guys are smart and specialized, but they don't specialize in this. And so this will only help us get to where we need to go. And, uh, you know, and, and to be fair, as the owner of this, um, I still take a little heat for not moving to you achieve earlier, but you know, I accept that heat and I just remind everyone we haven't been on that, um, that we haven't been on that uh, uh, program uh, migration every other year for the last 13 years. It's been a great run. So, yeah. All right. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again for, for walking me through all of this. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. All right. Thank you. That was Matt Bemis with the University of Southern California. The Cutting Edge Podcast is available at cuttingedgepodcast.com and everywhere you get your podcasts. This show is a product of Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Until next time, I'm Emily Bamforth.